0: Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. There was a a podcast I listened to, um, I think, a, a year ago or so, and it was about a Hypnotist slash performer slash con man named Ron Dante. Ron Dante was uh, kind of made his career as a stage hypnotist and illusionist, got a start in the 1960s, and he really made a name for himself. His, his real name was Ronald Peller, and he went by all kinds of other aliases, but he really made a name for himself when he married the actress Lena Turner in 1969. He was uh, actually her seventh husband. And six months after he married her, He abandoned her in San Francisco, went back to their home somewhere else in California, robbed her of, well, at least when she returned home, there was $35,000 cash and $100,000 jewels missing from her safe. Dante went on to start a hypnotism clinic, which he would go around and travel and teach others how to do hypnotisms until he was convicted in second degree attempted murder. He had hired a hitman to take care of some problems that he had. He spent two years in prison. Upon his exit, Dante started a company called Permaderm. This was uh, actually putting permanent tattoos on women's faces that looked like makeup. I don't know why you would sign up for that, but somebody did nonetheless. And so for $2,500, you could show up for a weekend and The funny thing is that Dante was afraid of needles, so he would actually not show you how to do it. He would show up in a fake cast claiming that he had broken his arm in a skiing accident, and he would have someone else teach them on grapefruits and pigskin how to tattoo things. Just a mess. Anyway, after this, he did his most lucrative con. He started Columbia State University. And its advertisements promised that within 27 days and for $1,695, you could have a degree in less than a month. The undergraduate degree by mail program was a racket, and it brought together all kinds of funds for Dante. And eventually, Dante and his wife moved to Mexico to kind of outrun some of the local authorities and other things that were happening. Something for nothing, as it were. Something for nothing has always been alluring, hasn't it? Something for nothing has always been a temptation to us. Something for uh, for nothing is the reason we get emails from Nigerian princes. It's the reason why the lottery is lucrative. See, we think that we can become our own providers. We want something for nothing. And we convince ourselves that we can have something for nothing. This morning, our text holds out a a very simple commandment. You shall not steal. But underneath this is a God who wants to be our provider. A God who wants to be the one who blesses. In fact, that's kind of our big idea this morning, is that God alone blesses. And I want to kind of walk us through an argument of understanding exactly why God commands us in this way. We're going to start off with this. We are thieves by nature. Go ahead to the next slide there, Owen. Uh, The next slide after that. That's Robert Dante, Ronald Dante. We are thieves by nature. Secondly, God is giving by nature. And finally, Jesus remedies our thievery. And we'll talk through that. I want to just kind of start off with this. We are thieves by nature. I want to dive into this discussion in Exodus. We see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. But we should also kind of back up and kind of see what exactly has God been teaching in Exodus. First, he teaches the nations of Egypt about his power and authority through ten plagues resulting and culminating to this destruction of the Egyptian army. But more importantly, God is teaching of himself to Israel. He's revealing himself to Israel. It starts in chapter 2 when Israel calls out to God and God hears their prayers. God is a God who hears prayers. In chapter 3, Moses sees this bush that never burns up, he learns the name of God, Yahweh, that he is this self-existent one. And then it, we kind of fast forward through all of these plagues where God is revealing himself powerfully to Egypt. Then it culminates to Exodus 15, where Moses says, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord fights, he takes up for his people. And then finally, in Exodus 17, we've seen that he reveals for his people, or he uh, provides for his people time time and time again he provides food and water shelter he brings them to mount sinai to reveal himself to them so then when we get to this commandment in exodus chapter 20 verse 15 and it says you shall not steal we recognize that it's embedded in this context of god showing himself and delivering him or delivering these people and providing for these people time and time again as we'll see in the kind of coming weeks Uh, This commandment is going to be expanded in Exodus 21 through 23. Exodus 21, 16 forbids stealing of people. That's slavery or or actually uh, man stealing, as we might call it in the Old Testament. Exodus 22, 1 through 4 gives direction for restitution of stolen goods and kind of what happens in the midst of all of this. There isn't much mystery to our text this morning. You and I aren't to take what isn't ours simple enough let's go home right there are thousands of applications of this principle though there are the little thefts that that occur you're you're cheating on your expense report at work you're taking pens from work and kind of stockpiling them for your house and then there's the more significant things the things that will get you arrested right tax fraud your government doesn't see this as a small thing theft of high dollar items I guess if I were to guess, not many of us this morning are really um, too weighed down by this commandment. We think of ourselves as kind of passing over what is being stated here. What's stated here is these large-scale thefts. And I don't have a ski mask in my closet, and I don't rob any banks, and therefore I'm kind of free from this. Let's give a, a definition here this morning, if we could. This is from the New Bradshaw Dictionary, right? Endeavoring to get something. This is theft. It's a noun. Endeavoring to get something for nothing by means of someone else's unwilling loss. Maybe if we work from that definition, we might see ourselves a little bit differently. We want to get something for nothing by the means of someone else's loss. See, such items that are stolen are not given as gifts. They're not loaned. It's when we purposely steal the things uh, for our own benefit and kind of dismiss another's loss. If we were to kind of just trace the history of stealing. And in the Bible, there's three examples that kind of come to mind. Jacob is the thief from his the beginning of his life when he's coming out of his mother's womb. He's grasping at the ankle of his brother Esau and that, how he got his name. And in Genesis 27, at his mother's encouragement, Jacob deceives his father into declaring his blessing over Jacob instead of Esau. He has taken something that was not his, that did not rightfully belong to him, and he has stolen it from someone who did not willingly give it up. Ironically, Jacob the thief has a long history with another thief in Genesis 30 and 31, his uncle Laban. And so as he's brought back into this relationship with his uncle, Laban and Jacob are stealing from one another. Laban wants Jacob's labor at a discount, so he tricks him into marrying his uh, oldest daughter, Leah, uh, so that he might work for 14 years rather than seven to get the youngest daughter, Rachel. And so Jacob takes both of these wives through the deception of his uncle, Laban. But not to be outdone, Jacob was willing, but eventually realizes he's being taken advantage of. But Jacob eventually steals the household idols through Rachel uh, as he's leaving Jacob's house. Achan, in the chapter of Joshua 7, Achan stole from God. At Jericho, God tells the Israelites that they're going to break into Jericho. God is going to knock down the walls after they've marched marched around it seven times. And sure enough, they're going to see all of the plunder. And all of that plunder is to go into the Lord's treasuries. But Achan steals some of it for himself. He hides it under his tent and he is exposed through God's providential intervention. See, Achan has taken for his own gain. Time and time again, we're seeing in our own lives and in the lives of those in the scriptures, we're seeing people who are endeavoring to take something for nothing by uh, leveraging someone else's loss for themselves. One thing that stood out in all of Ronald Dante's schemes wasn't just about the money. In fact, it was in the late 90s that Dante was in Mexico and, uh, Brian Ross from ABC's 2020 went down to find him and wanted to interview him. Now, you would think if you were a smart man, you would say, no, thanks. I don't want to do an interview. But what does Dante do? He pulls Brian Ross on his 120-foot yacht for the interview. He starts to talk to him about all of the things that he has done. See, when he was confronted, he he led on that powerful men made him do the schemes that he had done. And he takes 2020 20 on this yacht to the Royal Class, uh, his 110, 120 foot yacht. And what tipped him towards such an action, what uh, convinced him to do this, is that Brian Ross said that Dr. Dante was a legendary con man. See, at the end of the day, his Inclination wasn't just about stealing stuff. It was about being noteworthy. Someone said it to me this week that stealing is is the feeling that I deserve what you have. I love what Jen Wilkins says in her book, Ten Words to Live By. The quote's on the slides here this morning. She says, stealing praise, my kingdom come, my will be done. It turns to my neighbor and demands, give me this day my daily bread it's not just the idea that i'm going to steal something because i need it's that i'm going to steal something because i'm god because i'm going to be the one who takes care of my own benefit or takes care of my own self see in this way we're all thieves stealing is an action of the wayward heart jesus is dealing with these pharisees in matthew chapter 15 And he starts to lay out, uh, you know, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in Matthew 15, he says this, he says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft. Theft is a part of that sinful heart that all of us possess. We all share that same heart of rebellion against God. Paul told us there is no unrighteous. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Before you become too convinced that your theft is not a problem, consider you have a thief's heart. We all have a thief's heart. You may not have committed tax fraud, but your sinful heart is inclined to such things. See, all of us want something for nothing, even whatever it costs someone else. Who are we robbing? Who are we taking from? I'm just going to lay that thought out there for, for us for just a second. We're going to put that up on a shelf, and we want to turn our attention to a righteous and holy God. God by himself. We are thieves by nature, but God is giving by his nature. We know this this morning, right? God owns everything. We talk a lot about God as creator God. He's the one who created everything in six days. He created the skies and the, the earth. He called forth light. He broke into darkness. God is the one who has created everything and therefore is owner of everything. The psalmist tells us that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills in Psalm 50 or Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and fullness the fullness thereof. If we were to kind of back up a chapter into Exodus chapter 19, uh, Moses says that all the earth is His. God owns everything. Abraham Kuyper famously said this, he says, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. See, for you and I, this would spoil us, wouldn't it? The tendency we have is to kind of always want more. And so the richer we are, the the more we want. The more we have, the more we desire. John D. Rockefeller is a a prime example. When he was asked how much is enough, he said, just a little bit more. Goods and possessions are like salt water to the thirsty. The more you drink, the more you need. And you'll continue to thirst until the moment... Of your death. But God's possession of everything uh, means something quite different for us. God is not only the possessor of everything, God is absolutely giving. James chapter one, we've said this a lot. James chapter one, uh, James says this He says, Every good gift and every perfect gift. Is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every good thing comes from God. It's the words from John the Baptist when he says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. God's possession of everything has given him a position of benevolence to his people. Just stop and consider this for a moment. Everything you have in your life is a good gift from God. It is not the result of your effort, of your self-work. It is the result of a God who has blessed you from heaven. We just stop and consider how anti-American, that idea is, because we love to think that we are the products of our own making, that our hard work, our effort, our GPA in college, our our GPA in high school, our our kind of nose to the grindstone mentality is what has brought us to this moment. I drive the car, I drive because I've worked so hard to get here. I own the house I own because I've worked so hard to get here. What James is telling us here this morning is that every good thing we have is from the Lord. And if it's not, well, just stop there. Every good thing we have is from the Lord. Those things that strip us or or take us away from the Lord are not the good gifts that He's provided. It's interesting for all of Dante's manipulating and conniving. He ends, I don't know if he's passed away or not, but His end of his story, as far as I know it, ended in a whimper. There's The podcast that I was listening to entitled Dr. Dante ends with an interview with him in his trailer park home when he's diagnosed with cancer and he's got no one around him that loves him. He has spent multiple stretches in prison and he has no fortune to speak of. See, for all of his conniving and deceiving, Ron Dante has very little to show for it the end of his life. Good things come from God, don't they? I don't know if you ever thought about this, but our attempts to bless ourselves only turn into curse. Our attempts to bless ourselves only turn into curses. Every time uh, we try to create good things independent of God, uh, we ruin God's good creation. When, we, uh, when God has given us sex, we created pornography, adultery, and sexual abuse. When God gave us food, we created ab- obesity, food addiction, and food insecurity. When God gave us Sabbath, we created laziness. When God gave us work, we created slavery, workaholism. And every time we try to create our own blessing, we discover a new curse. Our attempts at self-blessing have a long trail of disease, destruction, and difficulty. But when God gives us of His goodness, it's irreplaceable. Just think about these good things that you have in your life. Have you ever thought about your children? Thought about your wife? The gifts that God has given to you are irreplaceable, are they not? Just was thinking about this. I was listening to another sermon and, and the guy was describing the beauty of a perfectly ripe ripe peach. Ever tasted a perfectly ripe peach or they're just right and good or a honey crisp apple? There, there's not a candy manufacturer out there that can match its sweetness or its beauty or its goodness. There's no parallel to God's blessing. See, as James says, all that's good in life comes from him, Do you love your children? Do you love your wife? Is your church a sign of God's blessing? Is your spouse a sign of joy to you? These gifts of God pay dividends that we may not even be aware of. They are irreplaceable gifts from a good God who has blessed us. And when we set out on our own to live a life of blessing that we've created, all we do is distort and twist those things. That being said, we are thieves by nature. God is giving by nature. We would be remiss if we talked about stealing and thievery, if we didn't kind of fast forward into the New Testament and see how Jesus remedies this situation. See, Jesus remedies our thievery. Paul tells us that Christians must steal no longer. I'm going to pull you in. If you have a Bible with with you this morning or a a device or something else, I want to ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. We're going to kind of break down this passage this morning uh, and kind of dive into what Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 4. We read this uh, last week for our liturgy. I just kind of wanted to review it here this morning because I think it, is, uh, it touches upon our subject this morning. Paul says this in verses 17 through 20. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and even given themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. We read this and we say that's that's who we were. Right. It's not just that this is a description of what Paul calls Gentiles. This is all people. This is a description of who we were before we were in Christ. We had a former life that was marked by darkened understanding in verse 18. A hardened heart at the end of verse 18. And a callous devotion to sensuality. You and I were slaves to sin like Paul describes in places like Romans 6. We were bound up to our sinful nature. But look at what he says in verse 20. He says, "You—that that is not the way you learned Christ." Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see what's happening here? There's a put off put-on dynamic that Paul is describing. He said, you didn't learn Christ in this way in verse 20, and so you have to put off the former manner of life and put on the new manner of life which you have. That former manner of life is marked by the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. is unloving, unpeaceful, unkind. It's marked by the deeds of the flesh that we see so often described in the New Testament. That former manner of life that we were given over to, that Paul has described, has practical realities in our lives today, doesn't it? And all of us have, in some way or another, struggled to put off this former manner of life so that we might walk in this newness of life. Look at what he says there. Verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That doesn't sound like a good time, does it? Christian, what this describes is the frustration that you feel every time you sin. That you still have this nature inside of you that draws you ever closer to this sin that you so wanted in the previous life. Paul says, what I hate, I do. The truth is, Christian, you have these two natures warring within you. It's described in Galatians chapter 5 that you have the old flesh still wants what it wants. And you have the Holy Spirit who wages war against those desires and brings you into perpetual holiness until someday when When God pulls you into his presence and pulls away that sinful nature, finally and fully makes you righteous. Right now, Paul doesn't call us to stay in this put off. What he says in verse 24, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Who we are in Christ is no longer defined by the put-offness of of who we are. We're to put on this new self in Christ. We're to walk in, as he describes, in the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We're to actually live out righteousness, practically speaking, to wake up in the day, to to thirst for righteous actions, to, to want to do the things that please our God. We're to put off these old selfish desires and to put on this new Christlikeness through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If we had any question what that looked like, what Paul does in the remainder of this chapter, 25 through 33, is he gives us a put off, put on dynamic time and time again. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, right? you can no longer be a liar now you must be truth teller look at verse 26 be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your anger right you put away sinful anger and in its place you put on righteous action toward the wrongs of the world that's what we're called to in verse 26 verse 28 is where it touches upon our subject matter here this morning says, Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with the one in need, with anyone in need. I just want to highlight three things here. First, stealing belongs to our old life, obviously. There's no way for me to be a thief and for me to be putting on the righteousness of Christ. I cannot be doing that. I cannot be walking in step with the Spirit while also stealing. Those two things are naturally contradictory. Second, hard work is a part of redeemed living. Notice what he says here in verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. It's a part of this redeemed living is for us to do hard work, but it's not all of it. Because look at what Paul goes on to say. It's not just let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. See, the last part of our equation of this reformed, renewed living is that we redeemed, redeemed living is typified by giving. What Christ has done is taken us from the old life of taking and brought us into the new life of giving. Of generosity. One important aspect of that is the work mentioned there in verse 28. See, there are those who are takers. There are those who are givers. Remember, talking with a young man about his relationship, or maybe it was a young woman. I honestly cannot remember. And recognizing that this person that they were involved with was a taker by nature. They would just constantly absorb anything that person was willing to give. Have you ever met people like this? They will constantly take and draw upon you. They will find a host and they will suck the lifeblood out of you. My advocacy for this young person was to find someone who was a giver. To find someone who was a net positive, who could in some sense give back. And I I know just as we read this passage that we give back as we're given to in Christ. That We learn Christ in a new way. We've put off and put on. So therefore, we no longer are takers, but now we're givers, according to verse 28. See, Satan is a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's Jesus' words in John chapter 10, right? He describes that the thief comes to steal. The thief comes to take. He, by nature, is one who wants to Take for himself, take for his own purpose, and he does not care about any uh, kind of casualty to you. you. See, Satan's posture and the posture of all those still in sin is to take. But in Jesus' teaching there in John chapter 10, notice how Jesus describes himself as giver. See, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is by definition not a taker. He is the giver, and He gives from the abundance that He has as creator and sustainer of all things. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing has been made that has been made. Or in Colossians chapter 1, He is the image of the invisible God. And by Him, He's created everything, and through Him, all things have their sustaining grace. And so Jesus is constantly self-giving as the one who gives of himself to the world. Jesus is not a taker. Let's be clear. The life of Jesus is not one of taking. The life of Jesus is one of self-giving. Jesus is one who gave his flawless life to redeem our sinful life. He has substituted his perfect life for our deeply flawed one. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our impulse to get something for nothing is only ever truly fulfilled in Jesus. It's in Jesus that we get something for nothing. By the nature of our faith in Jesus Christ, He gives us everything, the fullness of what He has for us in our redemption and renewal. Christian, you don't have to lie, cheat. You don't have to steal your way to blessing. God has given of His fullness to you in Christ, and you need nothing. I just want to stop and say that for a second. We need nothing. I would say that with the firmest amount of conviction that no matter what state we find ourselves in it's easy to say that in the american context but what about the african context where they don't know where their meal is coming from what about in some of these contexts where they don't have clean water is it fair to say you don't need anything i want to just highlight this because i think it's important and it's removed from us as americans No matter what state you're in, your eternal state is provided for in Christ. If you don't draw another breath from this moment, you have full provision. You don't need anything. Righteousness in Christ will get you eternity. So no matter what need you think you have, it's not a need. I don't mean to say that to be callous. I recognize that there are many who are in various states of need, and we want to help those people, but we do so fundamentally from a posture of recognizing God's grace to us that we don't need anything. I want to spend our time this morning pushing us to, to be radically Generous. Many of us are here saying, I- I've never stolen anything, Jason. Maybe when I was five, I took a pack of gum from the uh, Walmart candy aisle or whatever it was. I remember, I think I remember being a child and I think it was an IGA and I grabbed a piece of candy, pocketed it. My mom discovered me in the parking lot, grabbed me by the wrist and made me go back into the store. That's the last time I remember wantonly stealing something. You might say this morning, I don't cheat on my taxes. I'm not involved in a pyramid scheme and I no longer steal my Netflix code from my neighbor. So I don't steal anything. You laugh. Some of you are still guilty. Remember our definition, right? Theft is endeavoring to get something for nothing by means of someone's unwilling loss. Might I submit to you that one of the most significant ways we steal is by failing to give of our tithes and offerings. Money that rightfully belongs to another, namely God, stays in our bank account I'm reminded of this as I was doing cross-references this week in Malachi chapter 3. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? Let me give an aside here for just a second. Gospel community has never lacked money. I understand that that comes from so many of you who have been so generous in your giving but i think if we were to touch upon this subject and kind of gloss over this and not talk about it i feel like we would be unfaithful to what the scriptures call us to i wouldn't be preaching faithfully if we didn't bring the fullness of this nuance we rob god when we fail to honor him in tithing as a church I understand tithing means 10%. That's not really what the New Testament talks about. We could kind of open up 2 Corinthians and talk about that That on the first day of the week, we set aside our, our giving for the purpose that the Lord has. This morning, we are well provided for as a church, but I, I don't want to be remiss in calling you to the joy of entering into this church's mission by not robbing God. The joy of actually self-sacrificing being a giver and not a taker so that you might kind of lock arms with god's people here at gospel community and we can push forward for the kingdom purpose of god here in troy ohio there might be some other nuances in ways that we rob one another this might be a little bit off askew but perhaps you rob one another by withholding your presence Truthfully, theologically, I I believe that God has gifted every one of us who are in Christ with spiritual gifts. When we don't come to the local gathering of people, when we don't share ourselves and and fellowship, when we don't show up at our community group, we withhold ourselves. We withhold the blessing that God has given us, the gifting that God has given us in, in ministering to one another. They, in some ways, are experiencing less body life because there's less participation. Looking over some of our attendance numbers and, and realize that, that many of us are in a pattern where we show up about 50% of the Sundays. I just got to say, you're, you're robbing one another. And when I don't come, when I don't show up at my community group or whatever else, I'm robbing you. we have a responsibility to give be self-giving as Christ has been self-giving to us i want to encourage you to foster a posture of generosity i was uh, at a meeting a few years ago and i heard this speaker say something to the effect that uh, that we see the world through the lens of scarcity We learned it somewhere in the fourth or fifth grade, this word scarcity. It means that there's not enough resources to go around for everybody. And yet, when we read the scripture, God tells us things like he does own the cattle on a thousand hills. He does have provision for us. We can trust him for our daily bread. We engage with the world through the lens of scarcity, but our God is constantly telling us that He will be the one who provides everything we need. And as we've just said, He's not only provided if we we lack anything, uh, we can ask God, as James says, but if we're continually lacking anything, He has fully provided for our eternity in Christ. What is it that we lack? What is it that we're so concerned about? What is it that we're so lacking here as these American people? We're always convinced that there's not enough to go around. But our God is the one who owns all things. And so why don't we live like it? Why don't we have an openness and generosity about ourselves so that we would give of our time and our energy and our resources to one another? I just want to encourage you to find ways to give of your resources, your time, your energy to the benefit of others because that is what Jesus has given of himself to you. Remember that Jesus, who had all eternity with God, he didn't consider it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He gave himself for 33 years here on this earth. He sacrificed his own body at the cross so that we might be fully established, so that we also might share with others around us. We should have a posture of generosity, shouldn't we? Posture of gratitude for the things we have. the thieving heart isn't just the heart that steals. It's not just the Jean Valjean that steals the silverware to pay for his food. The thieving heart is one that wants to provide for his own needs, to meet his own way. We have to see that that is fundamentally contradictory to the God who we serve, who has met us with great provision. I want to pray that God gives us a thankfulness, a gratitude, and a generosity. And I I confess before you, I have the most to learn in this area. I want to ask that God gives us a posture of generosity and gratitude. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask now that you would give us that as we reflect on your goodness to us in Christ who gave all of himself to us. That we might give all of ourselves to one another. And the fullness of reflection of of your son's sacrifice, that you would make us full of gratitude, generous to others. That we might be rich in grace and mercy. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.